And turn with me there as we continue on in our series, what I call Marked for a Mission. Significant, significant developments as of lately. Um, The elders and I have been praying, and I'm the first one to officially announce it. Uh, We have just canceled winter altogether. We're going from fall to spring, 65 degrees today. I heard, what a Christmassy feel, isn't it? <clears throat> it is great to have Justin uh, visiting with us. I tell you what, I was looking at the picture. You're a lot better looking in real life uh, than in the picture. It, it, is, it is a delight to be together um, in the house of the Lord. We sang that, that first Christmas hymn, What Child Is This? Um, it's Jesus, that's the answer. Our entire focus, our one reason for being here this morning is to fix our attention, our mind, our heart in one place, one place alone. All the frantic busyness of this past week, just just put it behind you. The long list of to-do items for the week, put it behind you. We focus on Jesus and on Jesus alone. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please, as we commit our time um, in the Word um, to the Lord. Father, we come before you, recognizing who you are in, in all of your greatness and your glory, and we stand in complete awe of you. We are grateful for this moment you've given to us, your spirit that is present, your word that is perfect, uh, your body that is alive. And Father, you've called us to a task. And and God, we plead, I beg for your assistance this morning as your word is open and read. And may you speak to all of us. Father, I pray for our community. I pray, Lord, especially this time of the year. There's such a focus on Christmas, and for many, it's just a complete miss. God, awaken their, their eyes and their hearts to see Christ. Help us, Lord, use us wherever you see fit. I pray, Lord, for churches in our community that are grounded and rooted in the gospel, that you would bless their, their work and their ministries. Father, I pray for hearts that are even here now that are unsettled. Lord, May you, in the power of your spirit, convict or comfort whatever is necessary. You, your will be accomplished. Father, we commit this time to you. May you be glorified in it. Guard my mouth and my mind. We ask this in the strong, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Last week we were together. We looked at Jesus. He is extraordinary in every way. And we talked about the importance that there are moments just like this, that our heart is stirred with a greater um, affection toward Jesus. Uh, This morning we look at the fact that Jesus makes our mission possible. And, And what my prayer is, is that our mind is stirred with a greater understanding of who Jesus is. And I want you to think about that question for a moment. Who, who is Jesus to you? Who, who is Jesus to you? For many, to be perfectly honest, 
some even sitting in this very room, Jesus is nothing more than a than a, a name or a word that kind of just just flies out of your mouth when you hit your thumb with a hammer. That, that's who Jesus is to you. A curse word. You drop a plate unexpected because it's hot. Jesus for others is the trite Sunday school answer. Every question that is always asked, yes, is Jesus. Sunday school teacher was kind of frustrated with this, and, and so she was trying to stir the minds of her, her students, and, and, and she said, I have a question for you. Um, what is something that is furry and has a long furry tail and eats nuts and jumps from trees to, to tree to tree to tree? And the little boy raised his hand and he said, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds a whole lot like a squirrel. <laughs> that's, that's really the trite answer, Jesus, your son. That's what Jesus is to some. To, to, to many people that are here today, Jesus is that good luck charm that you keep in your pocket that when you line up on the line of scrimmage or, or the starting line or you step into the box or you walk to the free throw line you're praying Jesus help me in this situation that's what Jesus is to some or is Jesus truly Lord and Savior I believe it was Lewis who said Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all I read earlier that, what, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. We sing the song, I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender. I want you to keep that in mind as we think about who Jesus is this morning. We've been working our way somewhat slowly, but hopefully with great profit, the Gospel of Mark. And last week we talked about, in fact, we kind of get a, a glimpse into the day of the life of Jesus. And we'll see that he is busy. He's very, very busy. But he's not busy just for busy's sake. He is extremely intentional in everything that he says and does. He's purposeful. He is divinely diligent and directed. Enduring pressures that we cannot even begin to fathom in our mind. And yet, above all, he glorifies his heavenly father. I thought about our life. I thought about my life and, and my days and my week. I find it very easy that we go out with this long list of, of daily duties, hoping to glorify our heavenly father. May I suggest that Jesus does the exact opposite. Jesus sets out with one purpose, to glorify His heavenly Father. And along the way, He accomplishes a long list. We have to look at life differently at times. And so this morning my prayer is that we have a greater what? We, we have a greater knowledge. Our minds are stirred. The greater understanding and appreciation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus began his ministry recently. He gathers together these, these four guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They are the most ordinary of men. 
They, they are from the most ordinary of, of places. They begin their ministry in, in Capernaum, a, a little small fishing village. And yet we're reminded immediately there's nothing ordinary about Jesus. He's extraordinary in every way. Last week we saw that he was teaching with great knowledge. He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. We saw as well that he was rescuing, demonstrating great power. He is omnipotent. And he does this with full and final authority. The same word of God that he speaks that we have, the spirit of God that when we minister and speak, filled by his power, we can speak with authority. I was reminded, I even encouraged a few of you this week of Hebrews in chapter 4. It says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Realize that we can have that same type of confidence when we minister as what? One's completely under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we truly call Him Lord. We pick up our text, Mark chapter 1. It, it, it begins in verse 29. We'll read down through verse 39. Listen very carefully to our text this morning. And immediately, well, there's that word again that the Gospel of Mark seems very familiar with. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately... They told him about her, and he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve him. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Point one I want to give to you this morning, very clearly we see in our text, Jesus displays a power over demons and physical sickness. Number one, Jesus displays a power over demons and physical sickness. Okay, we probably do not say it every time, I can understand. But I hope that we say it sometime. And my prayer is that we say it most of the time. We say something like this, What? A great day of church that we had today. 
That that is my prayer that when you come here, you leave here saying, what a great day. That was certainly the case from our previous text. If you recall, there was great teaching that Jesus was doing. There was an amazing display of the power of God at work, literally transforming lives. They were astonished, remember, shocked listeners. Who is this one? He's unlike anyone else. And we saw there was at one point a a demon-possessed man yelling and screaming and blaspheming, convulsing in torments, and then he was what? He was in complete peace. He was at peace. All because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now now we pick up our text after an amazing day at church, an amazing day in the synagogue. Everyone, Jesus and the four that are with him, all head to Simon Peter's home. It, it again, it kind of seems kind of natural and normal. Hey, we're, we're done here. Why don't we go? But we still want to be together. Let's sit together. Let's talk. Let's eat food together. I love how Warren Wearsby says it. Well, how important it is to take Jesus home with us after we have worshipped. That's, that's basically what happens here. It's not this idea of, you know what, we have to go to church again. Tell you the truth, I grew up like many of you going to church when I was little and and just grew up. And I was not a huge fan of church, to be perfectly honest, as a kid. Probably until I got to the age of 12, 13, 14. And I remember as, as, as we would sit at lunch... We didn't have roast pastor for lunch, okay? But I, I remember that we would dialogue. And I remember that, in a sense, church wasn't just a place that we went to and sat and got up and walked out. It was, it was something that, that launched us into discussions. And it wasn't until I was around 12, 13, 14 that I began to dialogue. At times, even debates. And we'd get scripture out. We would talk about this. And we would inevitably end up praying about something or for someone. And church became real. Church is a place that we go, Lord willing, to worship together, but we go to hear and to see and to sing and to learn and grow. So that what? It controls us. It impacts us. It affects us. It influences us. So much so that when we leave this place, we take the message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, home with us. This is the case, in a sense, that they go to Peter's home and, and automatically, again, almost naturally, it becomes a place of ministry. Maybe like your home could be if Jesus came home with you. Now, it is noted that Peter's mother-in-law was ill. Pause for the mother-in-law joke. I really didn't have any. I have a great mother-in-law. But we have this this woman. Um, it says that she has a fever. Um, Luke chapter 4 adds a little bit more detail. 
I was looking for the, was it a 103? Was it 104.4? Luke 4 says that she has a high fever. A little bit more detail. Either way, she is reduced to what? Lying flat. She is sick in beds. Those with Jesus told him about her. Again, Luke adds a little bit more detail. Uh, He uses the phrase, they appealed to him. They appealed to Jesus on her behalf. They're asking, excuse me, we need some help here. Now, I thought about how hard that is for you and I. We are competent, capable people. And for some reason, it is amazingly difficult for any of us to say, you know what, excuse me, I'm not doing well. I need some help here. I'm I'm sick physically, emotionally, spiritually. We have a hard time. May, May I remind you that healing only comes after a desperate plea and cry for help. There is no place, there is no place for pride when it comes to the sick needing to be healed. What does Jesus do? He gives to us a great model for ministry right here. And we need to pay very close attention to verse 31. It says what? He came. She's laying perhaps in a bed in another room or off to the side. He came to her. And I thought about you and I that we have a responsibility to take that extra little step. We're in the house, but we have to go to them. For some reason, I've been struck recently with the fact that we will extend grace. We will, we will go the extra mile. I hope you're happy with me now because I've gone further than I would normally or naturally have done in myself. But Jesus wants me to display grace, so I'll display grace to you. And at that point, I believe that Jesus wants us to go one step further. Always. And Jesus models that for us right here. He goes to her. May may I encourage you to go to the sick? Don't sit and wait for them to come to you. They're sick. Go to the poor. Go to the thirsty. Go to the dying. Go to the depressed. I believe it's in our what mandate that says go into all the world. The church of Jesus Christ never, ever, ever stops going. It says that Jesus... Went to her. Look at how it says in verse 31. I love this. He, he took her by the hands. It is, it is a demonstration of what? Of care. It is an expression of love. He took her by the hand. It is expression of gentleness. It is the expression of concern. We go to them and show them, show them that you care for them. Look what else Jesus did. It says that he, he lifted her up. What we have, we exist. Who is Christ? Who is Jesus to us? We call ourselves Christians. It means ones like Christ. We do what He does. He goes and He 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 lifts her up. You and I have a responsibility to edify the body. That means to build up. It means to lift up. It means to encourage. 
It's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ does. And there is healing miraculously that takes place. Jesus heals her and in doing this, He displays what? Power over sickness. Last week we saw that Jesus has power, authority over demons. Later we'll see in Mark chapter 4 that He has power over the wind and the seas. I love this little detail that, that Mark adds that, that the fever left her and she began to serve. But wait, wait a minute. You mean there's a little bit of a time where she just had to kind of just enjoy the moment? In, no, no. According to what it says, the fever left her and she began to serve. So there, there is an immediate healing. Strength returns. This is not like a good doctor who knows his stuff. This is an evident work of the great physician, the Lord of the entire universe steps in. We represent you. You go to school and you represent the Lord of the universe. You go into your workplace every day. You represent the Lord of the universe. And there's, there's no name, just Mama Peter's mama, okay? And it says that she just goes to work. It's just evident of like a great mother-in-law. You know, uh, there's not... Well, I'll, I'll serve when when I feel like serving. I'll, feel, I'll serve when I have the, the strength that, you know, I, I, it's none of that. The same, same mindset kind of happens that people are sitting here and they'll serve what? When they know enough. When they've been here long enough, then they'll serve. We don't, we don't ever see that in any of Scripture. I think of the, the philosophy of my dad, the, the wisdom of my dad in, in simple words. You are saved to serve. You are not saved to sit. To be perfectly honest, I still am in shock. And I'm not over-exaggerating that term at the number of people who attend our local church here and the number of people that are actively involved in ministry in the local church here. It's probably about one-third. One-third. For some reason, there's this idea that says, I can bask in the glory of forgiveness... I can enjoy redemption and I can sit here. Well, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. You have been been rescued for a purpose. You've been gifted by the Holy Spirit with amazing gifts that when you don't use that gift, you lose it. And my, my fear is that we as a church can grow numerically and yet spiritually shrivel up and die and blow away. Because someone said, I, did, I didn't like, you know, pick up a broom, drive a van, teach a class, make some coffee. It's not really difficult to use the gifts, and to serve the body of Christ. Look what happens. Look what happens. 
There's a buzz that takes place within the body in verses 32 and 33. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed. I love this next phrase. What? The whole city was gathered at the door. The whole city picked up on the fact that there is a gal in there and she was sick just a little while ago. And now she is healed and she is serving. And that draws, that is the magnetism of the work of Jesus Christ. Now we know what, physically and spiritually, there are many who needed healing. There was no 911 to call. There was no ambulance to arrive. There's no doctor to make a visit. It was before any of our scientific and medical advancements in technology. The need for healing was great. And it's very evident that it's not just physical healing. There's, there's spiritual healing that takes place because there are people that are, 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 are oppressed and possessed by demons. Demonic activity was rampant and Jesus once again reveals his authority. He says what? You're not even to speak, let alone have control over anyone. And this was a major problem that existed this week of uh, Anthos and Genesis contributor. He's a physician. His name is Dr. T. John Rendell Short, a foundation professor and head of the Department of Child Health in the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. And they were doing a dig in this particular region of the Middle East. And, and what's interesting, they said this, that out of 120 skulls that were excavated from ancient cemeteries, Six of them actually had holes that were bored into the skull. And the presumed reason was a practice was, was to let a demon out of someone's heads. It was such a problem. How do we handle this? That's man's attempt. Jesus, Jesus demands authority over the evil. There's physical healing, there's spiritual healing. And we know that this is not a this is not a, a nine to five job here in ministry. According to it's this it's the evening of the same day. He's been teaching all day, he comes home, he's been healing and working. Jesus experiences all the physical limitations that we face. There's hunger and there's exhaustion. And yet Jesus displays a continued compassion all the way through. We don't have the time to read Mark chapter 6. You speak of Jesus' compassion for others. Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9. You know, you think about it. You want a strategy for church growth? Well, there's a lot of church growth gurus out there that are saying, I wonder how we can get like more people. How can we, how can we get more people here? Let me, let me give you a very clear... You wonder how people... Just introduce them to the wonder, to the work and the ways of Jesus. That's all you have to do. The city's at the door, beating the door down to come in. Why? Because Jesus is at work, which means what? You tell others what Jesus has done in your life. Tell them how you were rescued from a pit of sin. That God saw you and loved you and came to you and broke you. You tell people that. Show others that you have been loved. Serve others. Give and love sacrificially. Move. That's what the body of Christ does. 
And believe me, you will have no problem with expanding the work of the gospel in a community. Secondly, we move on. Jesus displays a passion for prayer and spiritual oneness. Jesus displays a passion for prayer and spiritual oneness, even with a a hugely busy and productive day behind him. It says what? That Jesus rose very early to pray. My wife and I were debating what is early versus very early. This is very subjective, okay? Early for me is probably not early for some of you. It's just some people are morning people. We we figured, okay, this is up for debate. Early is 5, 5.30. Very early, oh, 4 o'clock, 4.15, Whatever it is, very early, Jesus what was intentional in going to a desolate place alone and quiet to spend time with His heavenly Father in communion. It is intentional. Interesting that Mark mentions Jesus praying only three times. Luke actually mentions Jesus praying eight different times. Regardless of the number in this particular gospel, it is evident that Jesus makes it a practice to seek to regularly go to and build into the relationship, pour into, to invest in the relationship that exists between Him and His Heavenly Father. Relationships exist and expand what? When there is time spent in communication. You can't be in close connection or communion with someone if you're not dialoguing. This is what Jesus is doing. He's pouring out his hearts in dialogue. I'm sure the model that, that is given in Luke chapter 11 is evidence. How do we do this? Hallowed be your name. Recognize the reverence and the awe of God. The model that is given, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about submission, Lord, whatever you want. Give us this day our daily bread. It's about supplication. God, I I, I need the breath that you give me to fill my lungs every day. God, it's all from you. Please forgive us our... That's what it's about, confession. Model for prayer is clear throughout Scripture. We are to be people of prayer. The final three verses, verses 36 to 39, seem... I would just say it's not... Odd, peculiar to say the least, almost to the point of asking or questioning, why are they here? What is offered by this? What is meant by this? Quite simply, what is happening? Jesus is praying, and Simon Peter and the boys, they come looking for him. After searching diligently, they find him, and they they say, well, everyone's looking for you. You can almost hear Simon Peter, and Peter's kind of the leader here, and he's the one that's not shy to speak. Uh, Jesus, you know, like, we're kind of in the middle of something pretty big happening back there. Uh, you know, there's, there's what, the whole city's at the door. Now, they don't say it directly, state it directly, but it's pretty clearly implied. Jesus, uh, we want you to come back to work. That's really what's happening here. And the response that Jesus gives, it just, it just doesn't fit. Completely unexpected. Listen carefully. This is Jesus' response. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns. Towns, plural. 
that I may preach there also, for, for that is why I came. Do, 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 you, do you get what's going on here? Do you see the big picture as to what happened? Peter and the boys only see what? Needs being met. Peter sees the motion of ministry. And Jesus sees something that is so much bigger. Jesus is saying, don't you understand? The priority here is on relationship. The priority here is on what? Spiritual oneness with my heavenly Father. But Jesus says, I must move on. He must be in obedience. He must be in obedience to the call of his heavenly Father to preach the gospel. Jesus is not at all concerned about raising a crowd. He's not concerned about how many likes you get on Facebook. He is not in the least bit concerned. Jesus is more concerned with the preaching of the gospel than the healing of bodies. Let me say that again. Jesus is far more concerned with the preaching of the gospel than of healing. The reason is what? The preaching of the gospel holds truth that can rescue a soul for eternity. Whereas the healing of a body, what? Is temporary. One one deals with the physical well-being. The other deals with the spiritual well-being. Jesus is saying what? The soul lasts and the body does not. Jesus is saying what? The soul is more important than the body. Hey, every one of us who gives such care and concern for our bodies, matter of fact, we care far more for our bodies than we do for the condition of our soul. And Jesus throws this completely on end. So are we saying, well, we're not to care for physical needs? No. So we don't ever offer? Is that what you're saying, Pastor? You don't give cold water to a thirsty person? We don't offer shelter? We're not? No, I'm not saying that. Don't misquote or misunderstand. I am saying that what? As we offer physical help, we do it with a greater concern in mind. And that is a concern for the soul. We do not want people with full bellies and healthy bodies to be separated from God for all of eternity in hell. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus keeps this in mind. And He shows this to us. And He models this for us. Why? Because we like the things that's in front of us. We like the physical, the tangible, the temporal, the immediate. Jesus, He, he comes in and He says, no, it's people over programs all the time. It's relationships over religion. It's being with over doing for. So in closing, we we need to examine. We need to examine the way that we do ministry. We need to examine the motivation of our own hearts. Who, who, Who do you go to? Who do you spend time with? Why do you go spend time with them? We have a responsibility of introducing them to Jesus. 
so that he's not just what? A word that blurts out when you hit your thumb with a hammer. He's not a good luck charm. He's not the trite answer to every question. No. He is Lord over all. And we live and we minister in complete submission and subjection to Him. When we do that, when we do that, we introduce people to the work of Jesus in our own heart, in our own lives. I tell you what, the city is at the door waiting to hear that message. Father, we need your help. Keep us aligned according to your word and help us to be sensitive to your spirit. We ask this in Christ's name.